and welcome to The Juice and the Squeeze. I'm Julia Strand with my co-host, Jonathan Peel. And today is very meta. We are talking about talking. We're talking about uh, the academic talk. Um, so this includes things like uh, conference talks where you go and, you know, give a little 10-minute uh, uh, spiel about your recent research. Um, this could be colloquium talks where you're giving like a maybe up to an hour long talk, typically about like a, a body of research um, and job talks where you are giving a talk with the goal, getting a job. Uh, so, Jonathan. Yes, Julia. Why do we give talks? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, well, so we asked for some input on Twitter and, and we got it. So thanks to all of you who um, wrote back to us and gave us some some thoughts. And so uh, James Shaw, thanks, James, uh, had a few suggestions here. Uh, do we want to promote ourselves, to educate our audience, to get help from them or find new collaborators? Uh, and I'm, we can think of other ones, too. And, and I obviously, well, maybe not obviously, but obviously for me, I think the answer is yes to all of those. And I think it's worth like going into a little more detail. I think most of us, well, I, I don't know. <laughs> I was going to say, I think most of us think that the main job is to like transfer information. Like I know I something. Facts. Yeah, I, I know. Facts. Now I give you the facts. Yes, exactly. Um, and I, I mean, that is, that's true. I think that's also, that's also a, an important part of it. So that would be kind of like educating our audience. Um, is that the main reason, do you think, Julia? I, w I would say that I, I think, um, yes, asterisk, like it, it depends, it depends on the, the type of talk, um, and the, the type of venue, but I think in general, like the point is I've got some information to convey. You could just read the paper, but I'm going to give you, you know, uh, information before the paper is available or, you know, that goes beyond the scope of a single paper, um, make some connections between things. But I think in general, people. Yeah, I, I would agree. Think of think of the point as uh, you know sharing sharing facts. So, okay, a couple of things. Um, you know, uh, academic talks can be very discipline specific, and so um, it, for like what Julia and I do in sciencey talks, uh, typically and probably most of our listeners, this is what what you guys are familiar with too. But you know, typically there's like PowerPoint slides involved these days, and it's not simply reading a paper, but it's sort of a different kind of communication than you would get from just reading a paper, uh, and which kind of opens up a lot of flexibility in how we do that, which I think is one of the challenges. In other disciplines, uh, people will even talk about, you know, presenting a paper or, or giving a paper, and, and sometimes they stand up and read from a from a paper. Uh, so, which, anyway, that we, which we're not going to talk about because that's not what we do. Um, mm -hmm. From my perspective, that lowers the amount of additional benefit because I know how to read. And so if you're just telling me the words that are on the page, like I could do that myself. Like I'm, you know, I'm capable of doing that. So I get more interested in when you have flexibility to convey information, how do you do it? Mm -hmm. um, I think my own excitement about talks has changed. And so... I used to be very excited about like, well, I would mostly get nervous, right? Like I'm supposed to give a talk. I hope I do a good job. Uh, and, and my, my goal is to like convey information and I still do that. But now I get, ex I get more excited about the people that I meet and the questions that I get. So even though 
I would probably say the primary purpose is still, you know, to, to tell people something um, like on a, in a, on a momentary basis. That's not my motivator. You know, it used to be right. I was the same way when I was about to give a talk. It was just like nervous. I hope I don't screw this up. Um, and now I really look forward to talks because because in the back of my mind, I just am thinking to myself, oh, man, I'm going to blow their minds and they're going to get so excited about this. I can't uh-huh. wait. Uh-huh. Um, and so so I would say now, like a, a one of the reasons that I want to give talks is to like share enthusiasm, right? Mm-hmm. And like spread excitement about ideas mm-hmm. um, rather than just, you know, deliver them. It's yeah, it's almost like um oh, I don't know. <laughs> not that you're recruiting, but like you're trying to get people excited about the things you're it's not just like you're not gonna sit up there and uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah I was, uh, yes, but I was trying to think of another word for it. Um but anyway, you're you're it's more maybe a little bit more social, socially oriented, like hey, this is a cool thing. Let's all get into it together as opposed to like, I will now transfer the bites of information from my head to your head. Yeah. Also, as I've gotten more um, interested in uh, and involved in open science and kind of meta science issues, um, it's also an opportunity for me to like share those with an audience who who may not be familiar with them. Mm -hmm. Right. So even just kind of working in things about like, oh, this is uh the study that we did and this is how we pre-registered it or you know if you want all of the data and materials and code they're all available online here you know and just kind of uh, um, uh, modeling how to talk about open science um, even when this isn't even when it is like it isn't an open science talk right it's just a research talk but like showing mm-hmm. how to incorporate open science through, throughout mm-hmm. yeah it, right exactly so maybe so why don't we well, why don't we come back to this why don't we talk about we were going to talk about kind of delivery and, you know, how to give a talk a little bit. And then maybe why don't we come back to like, okay, once you've got like your science in there, what are the other things you might want to communicate also? Because like, at least for me, that seems like a little secondary, you know, first level is like, make sure you've mm-hmm. got your, the facts you want to convey. And then it's like, okay, what other, now that I have a platform, mm-hmm. you know, what else do I want to do with it? So there's a quote by Francis Darwin that I like. Uh, I'm going to say the word person when he said man. I approve. Okay. In science, the credit goes to the person who convinces the world, not to whom the idea first occurs. Um, And I really like that. I also like that it's Francis Darwin, right? Because we associate theory of evolution by natural selection with Charles Darwin rather than with Alfred Russell Wallace. Mm-hmm. who actually thought of it, you know, at the same time or earlier, but Darwin got it out there first. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a really important idea that, like, you can make some incredible discovery, you can learn something new about the world, uh, but but it doesn't count if you don't tell people about it, mm-hmm. um, right? Like, if you don't, if you don't sh- share it with the world, if you don't convince everyone, um, there's, no, there's no point in having done it, right? Science, like, has to be a, a social endeavor mm-hmm. in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a talk, is really an opportunity to to convince the world of something, right? Like mm-hmm. it is a it's a real special thing to have a room full of bodies paying attention to you, and you can really use that power for good if you want to. Right. So it's a, it's a powerful venue. Mm-hmm. Well, I think also, I mean, I like that quote, and it's very true. I think sometimes people react to that, you know, a little bit sort of like, well, that seems not fair. You know what I mean? Like, like mm-hmm. if someone thinks of it first, they should get the credit if, you know, in a perfect world. Um, and that, well, so that may be true, but also it's not how the world actually works. And so it's good to be aware of that. 
Uh, and secondly, I think if you view communication as, you know, part and parcel of science, which I do, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of what you were saying. Um, then it's re- it really is fair, right? Like you need both parts. You need to have the idea and to communicate it. And it's not the communication shouldn't be like a, a second class citizen, mm-hmm. yep. right? Because because again, if if you don't communicate it, it doesn't help anyone. And and what's the point? Yep. Um, so I actually think I mean, obviously there are um, you can always find some examples where people have been kind of wronged in different ways. But but in general. I don't think it's crazy that that we're kind of responsible for sharing our own knowledge in a way that people can use it, right? Yes. So, all right, you have been given this this amazing platform where you get to stand at the front of a room and have people look at you and listen to you for some amount of time. So, how, so what do you do with that time? Um, there are different strategies. Uh, so, we're, we're going to start with like delivery, and you know, content aside, like how how do you engage with your audience? How do you how do you communicate? Um, there are different techniques. Uh, it will probably surprise no one who has listened to the podcast before or ever seen me um, that that the the strategy that I use to try to engage my listeners is to just be really enthusiastic to uh, <laughs> you know to, to to suck them in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that like enthusiasm is the spoonful of sugar that helps the learning go down, right? That that uh-huh. it is. Uh, uh, if you are not excited about the ideas, it's a lot to ask of your listener that they should be excited about them too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that like that, uh, that doesn't work for everyone. Um, and mm-hmm. there's personality differences and all of that. Uh, and I think there are lots of ways of giving a great talk that don't involve pointing at the screen and saying, can you believe how cool this is? Um, but but I think it is really important to find uh, a, a, a way of talking to the audience that that does convey you know your uh, that conveys why the why the ideas are interesting and why they should care about them. Mm-hmm. Um, when I like think back to conference talks or job talks or whatever, um, I'm really struck at the things that I remember, like the talks that I remember well, um, aren't necessarily like wow they had the cleanest data or the biggest sample sizes or something like that. It's like oh I remember. That that speaker really like took me on a journey and I understood it and and the way she delivered it was interesting. And as a result, I remember, you know, what the what the content of the material was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think giving a good talk is not just um, not just for showmanship, but also because like it's going to help them understand and remember, which is what you want them to do ultimately. Yeah, I agree. You know, so just uh, backing up to one point you made, uh, which is a good one, is, you know, everyone well, there are lots of different ways of giving a good talk. And so obviously you and I will talk about what works for us and, and that may not work for everyone. But I think um, but I think everyone can sort of think about what the most effective strategies are, right? So like like other things we've said, if, if you just think I'm not a great I'm not great at giving talks, oh well, uh, I think you're probably not gonna give the best talks you can give. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's better to try to be um you know, to try to try to improve and be uh, introspective a little bit about like, okay, what are the, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What are the things I do well? What can I work on? What can't I work on? Right? Or what you know, whatever the things are. So if if someone is like never going to make a joke during a talk, then like fine. But but maybe you think, well, you know what? Sometimes jokes are effective, and I would like to try to do it. So I'm going to like plan a joke you know, or, or whatever, like you might be able to like do one joke in a 40 minute talk and like maybe, maybe next year you'll do two or, you know, whatever the, 
thing is. And if you hate jokes, then then don't put them in. But just an example. Um, so, which is to say, every time I think it, the the critical thinking part is really useful. So if you're wa- if you're looking at a if you watch people other people give talks, then think about well what worked and what didn't and why, as opposed to like that talk was good, that talk was bad, or I was bored or I wasn't bored. Well, what what about it was engaging or confusing or or boring? And I think for me that has been the thing that's helped me the most, apart from practicing a lot, but just trying to really be aware when watching other talks um, of, of how I'm feeling and, and like the details, right? Like as, as we'll get into, but sort of paying attention to those details has been really helpful. I, th- I think that's great advice. Um, I uh, have said before that that I think I learn something from every talk that I see uh, about, about delivery. And sometimes it's, uh, I'm going to remember that it's very distracting when a speaker mm-hmm. dot, dot, dot. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes it's, you know, it's, it's things like, Oh, I saw when that person was like pointing to something on the screen, they tucked the non-pointing hand behind their back. And it was like a really nice way of just signaling, Hey, the focus is on this hand. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, um, I think you can, yeah, if you are, if you are thoughtful, can learn a ton from watching talks too. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I guess, um, along with that, is I think I always assume, like I've said before, when I first started off, I read a journal article and assumed it was a published article. Therefore, the authors are good writers and know what they're doing. <laughs> uh, same with talks. You, you watch an established person give a talk and you think, I guess this is a good talk because, you know, this is a famous person or whatever. You know, Peel's giving a talk. It must be a good talk. You know, mm-hmm. don't think that because a lot of people don't give great talks. And even if it, it's a fine talk, it could probably be better. Right. So just not, not that you want to be mean. If someone gives a great talk, more power to them. But like, don't assume that someone's giving a good talk because they're famous. Um, yeah, I would say I would say there is, I mean, at least at least in, in our field, far more variability in the quality of talks that people give than in mm-hmm. the quality of papers that you read. And yes. that's saying something because there's a ton of variability in the quality of papers that you mm-hmm. read, too. Well, it's a different skill, right? As so you can be a brilliant scientist and a brilliant writer and, and a horrible public speaker. Yep. Right. So, and, and some people are, yep. <laughs> we won't, we won't name any names, but, uh, <laughs> not, not you, Julia. I'm not. <laughs> um, and this is right, where so you we... say not me either. Just, Oh, sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Obviously it goes yeah, without okay, saying. Okay. Um, okay. So, uh, uh, you mentioned practice, um, and the importance of, of practice. What does that, what does that look like for you? How do you practice and, and, and when, and all of that? Yeah. So again, this has changed a lot. So I'm going to go back in time to like uh, more graduate student talks. Um, so I would uh, ideally, and, and obviously sometimes stuff is last minute. And so we're not going to talk about like, at least not yet, t- talk about like cheats and shortcuts in, in the real world. But ideally, um, I would get a talk ready, at least like a complete, I have all my slides and they look good and I'm happy with it, ready, you know, two weeks ahead of time and mm-hmm. give a practice and, and give a practice talk in front of people like lab members um, out loud timed without stopping mm-hmm. uh, and then get feedback from those people who just saw your talk. And then you have two weeks to practice it again and change all the stuff that you need changing. Uh, and I would practice it, it, it. So when you're not practicing in front of people, to me, practice means you put the slides on your computer, you start a timer, and you go through your talk from beginning to end and stop the timer. Mm-hmm. And and you make sure that you know how you're going to transition from one slide to the next, 
and you know that your timing is whatever your timing is supposed to be and that you're paying attention to not rushing and so on and so forth. Um, the more comfortable you are, well, the less you'll have to do that. But I would, I would start off doing that. Maybe does that seem like over, over preparation? I don't think that's it how is. I do it. That's, that's how, how a lot I do it. of, right. Um, and so, so there's lots of advantages to this, uh, including, uh, and we'll get to some other ones later, but a big one is just knowing how long your talk is. And so it's, I, you know, it always, um, there's no reason you should be at a talk and either finish way, way early or be rushing through the end and saying, Oh, I'm sorry. I, I don't have time to talk about these last few points. Um, because you, you should have practiced it a bunch of times. And so the most common thing, if you've actually prepared is you might talk a little faster and then you'll be done a little bit early and that's fine. Or if someone interrupts with a question, then, you know, you might go a couple of minutes long, but you should be really targeting it, you know, pretty accurately. Yeah. I, what he said. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing, so the other thing is there are tricky transitions sometimes, right? Like, like every time you get to a particular slide, you might like, I don't really know how to to say this or like there's a really important phrase that I want to introduce because not everyone's going to know it. And I would like, so I don't advocate memorizing your talk at all. I think there, that can be, has its own problems. Maybe it works for some people, but I do think practicing certain transitions over and over and also maybe specific wordings. If there are, you know, if you need to, like, here's a sentence that I think really works. I'm just going to try to say it. Right. And even if you like, don't say it perfectly, having said it like a hundred times will help you to, to make up something sensible instead of like freezing. I think, I think that's great advice. I, um, I actually do like fully script talks in that, um, like in the, in the presenter view of PowerPoint where I can have like my little notes view. Um, I will like write out verbatim exactly what I intend to say. Mm -hmm. Um, when I'm actually giving the talk, I don't read it, mm -hmm. but I, but I, I, you know, look at the slides with it there. I practice that. Um, and if I get in a panic or think I'm forgetting something, you know, I can glance at those and have like the bullet points of like, these are the important points to make on this slide. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I, like, I, I find it really works for me to script it and then not follow the script. Yeah. Um, I mean, not, you know, not precisely. I, I like that approach. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I don't, well, so I've done that. I'm, I haven't done a whole talk that way, but I've done that for, you know, for parts of it, uh, which has been really useful. I tend to not use the presenter notes on the screen in front of me. Mm -hmm. uh, and the reason for that is um, because I, why well, I've been scared of it for a long time. So I, so I'm just not used to it, but I've seen other people get into a situation. This is more of a technical thing, but it, it, it relates to practice where the, I know that PowerPoint should always work and this should always work, but sometimes you'll see a speaker who is only seeing the slides and can't see the presenter notes. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and that could, and, and you know, that might be a solvable AV thing, but maybe you have a, a PDF because they only have a Linux computer and you can't look at your PowerPoint, whatever stuff happens and you can't see your pre presenter notes. And I've seen speakers get paralyzed, you know, every other slide they say, Oh, I don't, I can't see my notes. What was I going to say here? Uh, and it's really, you know, it, it's really distracting, uh, or even if they don't say it right, if you're used to it being there. So I, um, if possible, I encourage people to practice without the notes, even if you have them and even if they show up on the day, it's easier, but like run through it once without them, just so that you mm -hmm. don't freak out if sometime they don't show up. Um, yeah. and then that also just kind of helps you get off script 
you know, the first few times you might think you're not reading, but, but you might actually be reading more than you think. Yep. Yep. Um, I, I would also just to dip a little into technical stuff right now. Um, I recommend that if you really feel like you need the notes or just want to have them as a, um, you know, as, as a crutch, um, that you can also like just have a printed copy mm -hmm. of the notes yeah. that you can, you know, have with you. Um, and I know, especially for like more junior people and like I've seen, have had students do this too. Um, it's just, it's just like a security blanket, right? Mm -hmm. Like having them there makes you feel better, even if you're not relying on them heavily. Yes. Um, Yep. And, and I do think, yeah, exactly. I think that's a great way to do it. So even, or even if you, so I've gotten less paranoid over the years from my talks, but I think it's good to be paranoid. Uh, and so even if you are planning on using the presenter notes, just print out something too, just in case, Yeah. you know? Yep. Yeah. Um, go ahead. You sound like you're about to say something. <laughs> yeah, I would. Well, I was just, I was just noticing like, um, so when we were kind of planning out how to to talk about stuff today, Julia, we, we sort of like separated the the delivery and the presentation from some technical stuff. Mm -hmm. But actually, as we're talking, they're really pretty intertwined, right? They and are, so, yeah. And so I think, but that's like an important point to realize, I think, because I think uh, a lot of people, including including me, probably, if you asked me, would sort of would would separate them and say, okay, get you know, get a good talk, get your t content good. And practice like your mouth moving, mm -hmm. and then like separate thing. Worry about the the technical. You know, it, are you going to use PowerPoint or Keynote or presenter notes, or how are you going to time it? But actually, they're pretty intertwined, right? Because depending yeah. on your approach to the technical stuff, that's going to inform like how you do other stuff. So let, let me throw out one more example there. Um, how do you keep on time when you're giving a talk? Well, I mean, other than just like practicing a whole bunch and making sure it's, you know, like making well, sure it, yeah. it should fit. Mm -hmm. did you, or do you have any other? Well, well I guess, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. so so um, practice first and foremost. Um, yep. But then also I kind of have like benchmarks in my mind when I'm um, when I'm practicing. Where I'm like, OK, uh, I should be done with the intro at minute three. If I haven't started on data by minute six, I'm in mm -hmm. trouble. Oh, but how, so, but how do you know when minute three is? That's, that's my, this is the oh, basic question. Well, I use presenter mode and it uh -huh. has a little, it has a little timer. Yeah. Perfect. So then if presenter mode breaks for whatever reason, then, then you wouldn't know. That's like, it. Then I just timing. leave. I'd yeah. slam my laptop shut and say, see you later. I'm suckers, done. Take off. A two hour talk. <laughs> um, so like, you know, cause sometimes, so at some conferences, for example, you'll get a little green light that goes yellow and goes red when you're done. What? That's a fancy um, conference. I know. Uh, but then sometimes those are wrong, which isn't helpful. Mm -hmm. And then obviously sometimes you see presenters who like the light goes yellow and clearly they're only like a quarter of the way through or it goes right. red and like they're halfway through. And so you have to know, again, if you've practiced, hopefully that won't happen to you. Mm -hmm. um, so I think having some other timer, whether it's presenter mode or like I have a timer on my uh, phone that I set up and, and like, you know, with the 15 minute talk, I set it for 15 minutes. And so exactly what you said, I can know by, you know, X minutes through or X minutes left, I need mm -hmm. to be at a certain point. And that helps me like speed up or slow down gradually if I need to, which I hopefully normally don't, but mm -hmm. I can kind of pace myself a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, as as long as we're in, in uh, technical stuff and delivery, which yeah. is just inextricably linked. Yeah. Um, one thing that I, that I often see, um, uh, speakers do is if they have not 
planned carefully enough or kind of kept the audience in mind enough, you end up seeing people say things like, oh, I know you can't read this, or I know this is too much information, or mm -hmm. I know there's a lot going on here or something. Mm -hmm. um, and I would really encourage uh, setting up your talk in a way so that you don't have to apologize for anything in it. Yeah. Right? Like, you get mm -hmm. to plan what goes in, and if there's something you have to apologize for, it shouldn't go in. Right. Um, and so if there is something that is really big and complicated, find a way to break it into smaller pieces or find a way to visualize it differently um, mm -hmm. so, that you, so that you don't have to apologize for something that you're showing. Yeah. I mean... Well, just, yeah, size-wise, right? Like you should, your talk should be clear to the person in the back row who may not have 20-20 vision, mm -hmm. right? Like so if you have like little axes on your graphs, um, well, first of all, you can tell people what, what your axes are, but they should be able to read it. Mm -hmm. And if it's not important to read it, then like it shouldn't be on your slide. Mm -hmm. um, speaking of, it should be readable to someone who's in the back who doesn't have 20-20 vision. Um, it should also be uh, audible to everyone in the room, even if they don't have perfect hearing. Mm -hmm. um, uh, some of the rooms that these kinds of talks are given in are very small and don't have mic systems. Um, some are very small and do have mic systems. Some have, you know, whatever. There's there's a whole range. Um, one thing I see very commonly at, um, at conference talks and at, at colloquia are people will say, here's a microphone, but I don't have a loud voice. Can everyone hear me? And then everyone says that they can hear them, and then they speak more quietly than that for the rest <laughs> of the talk. Uh -huh. And the people who can't hear them aren't comfortable raising their hands. Mm -hmm. um, even for people who have big, loud, booming voices, uh, your voice, the, the, the way that you project your vowels is different than how you project consonants. And so people who are hard of hearing um, may have a, a hard time understanding what you're saying, even if you, 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 know, you tend to be a loud person. That's right. Um, and so... Yeah. You should always use the mic. I know people say it distorts the sound. It's not quite as beautiful. Uh, but that's a small price to pay for making it be accessible to everyone who's in the room. I agree. And, and also, if you get in the habit of doing it, you so it can be intimidating to use a microphone uh, if you're not used to doing it. And every place has a different microphone. The more you do it, the more you'll get used to, like, microphone technique, uh, mm -hmm. which we can talk about a little bit. Um uh, and so, you know, rather than run away from it, uh, just embrace it and like practice. And if you have like, if you've never used a clip on mic before, um, well, remember I said you should give a practice talk two weeks ahead of time. Guess what? Try out a mic, you know, try to do it in the room you're giving the talk in or a similar room, use a mic, try a couple different mics. Um, you know, there, there are ways to kind of, to, uh, to do this that, that can help you out. Maybe, uh, you know, go out, do a little karaoke. Get a, mm -hmm. get a feel for owning the stage. Right. Mike. So here's a question, um, uh, Julia, that I, I have not had to deal with very much. Mm -hmm. Most microphones, um, you know, are you, so typically there's a little lapel mic you could clip on, uh, on your, your shirt or your dress or your top and then, or something that goes around your ear. Um, and, and both of those, you know, have pluses and minuses, but then there's a little battery pack. Um, and as a man, I'm typically wearing, pants <laughs> um <laughs> uh, which is sorry which Show is true I was stop right there um <laughs> title hashtag title uh I'm, so I, I usually have pockets that are, are big enough to accommodate uh, the battery pack and so it, i don't have to think about it. i can clip it on my belt i can stick it in my pocket um but not all women's clothes have that option and so so what suggestion what, what have you run into yeah. Um, with that and how do you handle that because it's, it's, it's super awkward if you have to hold on to it 
Yeah, it is. Um, so I've been in that situation a couple of times and it has been convenient that I've been wearing something that has like a belt or like something that you can clip to in, mm-hmm. in the back. Um, and so like you could, they usually have like a clip on them and you can like clip it onto the belt or some, something that's in the back. Um, I actually did one time I was recording a lecture. Um, it wasn't, it was like, I was, you know, talking to a video camera for a thing. And, uh, and I hope this isn't too much information for our listeners. Um, I, I didn't have anything to clip it to. And I ended up like clipping it to the back of my bra, like mm-hmm. through my dress. Mm-hmm. Um, and it worked, but like, you know, I wasn't going to be on screen for very long. And if it fell out, we could cut that. So yeah. it wasn't ideal. And I gave a, and I gave a, you know, a little angry tirade to the all male camera crew. About mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I don't, um, yeah, that's tricky. I don't know that I have, that I have great advice for that situation. Other than if you're going to wear a dress, try to get one with pockets or a belt for the day you give your talk. Mm-hmm. Or, and, or whatever you do, maybe just be aware of that issue and practice ahead of time. Yeah. Yeah. Whether it's with, you know, what clothing you wear or if you're, if you want to just hold it or whatever. Yeah. Um, but just so you're kind of comfortable. I mean, the other thing is, so a lot of places then who don't have clip on mics will have a podium mic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the challenge there is it kind of ties you to the podium, which can be fine. But we all have it. Most of us anyway, have a tendency to want to look at the screen when we're talking about something up there like data or a picture, which I actually like because I think it's a way to connect to the audience. You kind of look at yep. them and then you sort of, it's like a perspective shift, right? Like, Hey, let's all look at this thing together, mm-hmm. which I think is good, except when you keep talking and you turn your head away from the microphone, right? That's super distracting. Cause I could be telling you something really interesting. And then I go over here and look at the screen and then I come back and tell you something else interesting, right? You can miss a lot of what I'm, what I'm saying. Yep. Um, so again, that's a thing to practice and you just may not turn around as much, or you might like gesture over your shoulder or turn around and point and then turn back to the mic. But again, just it's, it's worth being aware of. Uh, and a lot of people, um, a lot of people aren't aware of it as you've probably noticed. So just these little things, it's not that people will go out of your talk saying, wow, Jonathan had really good microphone technique. It's more like they will follow your story and not get confused because they haven't missed stuff. And that's what Excuse me. Will, and that, that's what hopefully they'll remember. Right. Um, speaking of pointing, I have a thing to say about, about laser pointers. Mm-hmm. Um, laser pointers can be awesome for like indicating which specific region of the brain or bar of the graph or whatever that's on the figure uh, that, that you're referring to. Um, I think they are often uh, heavily overused. The, the, the technique that I recommend is if you're going to use a laser pointer, you should only use it while you are not talking. So you say, okay, this region of the brain point, stop pointing, is important for giving talks or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and, I, and I think that the technique of don't talk while you're pointing is a nice one because it, it reminds you that like, you're just supposed to use it to be like, it's that one, not to like circle something for a long period of time or, you know, continue like waving it all over the screen, mm-hmm. um, but just use it very briefly to indicate and then it goes away. So I, I agree with that. Oh, I disagree and agree. I, I think that's good. My advice is more extreme, which is never use a laser pointer uh, or never rely on it. Um, and, and the reasons are, uh, first of all, well, if you bring your own. So if you don't bring your own, then, you know, madness ensues because you never know if there'll be one and if the batteries are there. So if you're going to do it, bring your own. Um, but uh, one of the challenges is that many people uh, get a little bit shaky when they're giving a talk, even if they're not consciously nervous. You get some little tremors in your hand. 
And so you'll see people point to the screen and the laser pointer is going all over the place. So it's not really helpful as a pointer. Mm -hmm. And it's just like a little bit awkward because it's just uh, emphasizing to you and everyone else that you're a little shaky. Mm -hmm. Um, Another challenge is that sometimes you won't, you may not know ahead of time, uh, but there might be two screens in the room that you're giving a talk in, right? Like, like two, you know, go left and right projector, Mm -hmm. which one do you point to? So you point to the one on the right people on the left are, are, I mean, they can see it, but they have to kind of move their attention. It gets kind of confusing. Um, and so, and also your point, Julia, that it's very easy to get distracted, like pointing to too much stuff, you know, and kind of like, uh, you know, anyway, tracing out the whole figure with the laser pointer when you don't have to. So, I mean, I, I should also say with this and other rules, I, I say it like a rule. And of course I use pointers sometimes also, but I think it's better to, if you're something, you know, you want to highlight because you've practiced your talk a whole bunch and you've given it to people. And so, you know, what is confusing and what needs to be highlighted, you know, put a circle or a line or an arrow in your PowerPoint and have it come up. And that, that will remind you and make sure that you highlight the right thing. Everyone with any kind of screen can see it all at the same time. You don't have to worry about it. Um, I would say another option is, you know, you can get programs that basically put a, put a, pointer on your computer screen. And that's also useful because it can show up on, on everyone's screen, but then you have to worry about, you know, being accurate and pointing at the right thing and not doing it too much. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I'm a strong advocate of just, just pretend there's no laser pointer. I thought when you were like, I agree and I disagree. I was like, Oh, he loves laser pointers. <laughs> we're going to fight. No, he hates them. <laughs> yeah. Although, yeah, and then and then of course having having come out as anti laser pointer, um, there are definitely times, probably because I haven't planned ahead enough, that I end up going over to the screen and jumping up to point at something because, because I don't have a pointer like or an arrow, the and that's wiggle and yeah, uh-huh. yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, in class, sometimes I throw an eraser at the screen because it's really high. So if I want to point to the top of the screen, I have I can't reach it. So I just throw an eraser up there. Wow, you gotta you um, gotta trust your arm in that case. Yeah, yeah. I've I've not done that in like a a, a, like a job talk. But <laughs> anyway, in class I, I do it sometimes. Um. All right. Other technical stuff. If you Google how to give a good academic talk, one of the things that you will see the very most uh, is uh, simplicity is king in um, in designing slides. Uh, it is very common to see just walls of text appear on uh, on screens, and that's tiresome for um, for readers. And uh, I would I would argue that slides should be um, a way of kind of structuring, making main points. But you know you're there talking, so not all of the information has to be written down. Mm-hmm. And please don't read your slides mm-hmm. point by point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I. I'm a big advocate of um, having bits of things show up on a screen at once. I know opinions differ about mm-hmm. this, um, but the way that I will typically do it is, you know, if I have a slide that makes three points, I will have the first point appear and I will talk about the first point and then have the second one come up, talk about that mm-hmm. and so forth. Um, I think that's uh, a nice technique for helping to like focus on what the important, uh, you know, what, what the idea is currently at hand. Um, and it's kind of fun to like build up the suspense too. Like where are mm-hmm. we going next? Now you have, now I'll let you know. Click. Do people disagree with that? Uh, some people. So, um, for, you know, building up, building up points like that. Also things like building up graphs, right. Mm-hmm. Where you're like, here are the axes. 
here's what group one did. Let's think about mm-hmm. that. Now here's mm-hmm. what group two did to like have them appear slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the one that I've specifically heard people say, no, just show me the whole thing. I know how uh, to do a graph. Yeah. Um, I, d- I disagree. I think it's always better to build it up slowly. Me too. I mean, if you have like one line on there, you can show the whole thing, but, but typically um, at least one person is going to get confused. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So how, actually, can we stop there though about building up? So if you are giving a, this is a practical thing because I've, some people um, don't know how to do that. So if you have a graph that has lots of lines on it from a, you know, you've just done an analysis and it's given you this pretty graph and now you go into make a presentation. How do you get that to come up one line at a time? Oh, so it depends. Um, it depends what the content is. Yeah. Um, so for most of the, the kind of data that I'm delivering, um, I, I can do it by just like, you know, making a thing in PowerPoint that is like a box that covers up part of it and mm-hmm, then mm-hmm. it disappears. Yep. That box is so it like shows the whole thing. Um, I guess for some of the data that we're collecting right now for an eye tracking study, it would be cool to be able to show um, like there's lots of different lines that are like overlapping with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and for that, you could like make a graph. Um, I mean, make a figure. I use R for figures, like make a figure that only includes one condition and then make a figure that includes both conditions and first mm-hmm. show the first figure. And then the second one just appears over the top of it. So it looks mm-hmm. like the second line has just been added in. Mm-hmm. That would probably be an elegant way to, to deal with yeah. that. As long as you keep your, you know, axes, limits, and everything else the same, yep. which you would because yep. you've scripted it, um, that can work really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing I've done is I've uh, I've traced over graphs in, in, in Keynote, which is what I use. But, I mean, if there's a graph that I don't know how to do what you've just described, either way, uh, I will manually, if it's a scatter plot, I will put a circle over each dot in the plot to let me Ooh. animate them. It's tedious, uh, especially the first time you do it, but it lets you animate. You have really um, concise control over how you animate things, uh, mm-hmm. and, and it's always been worth the time. Mm-hmm. So, in general, a lot of I think um, a lot of my thinking about talks has been like I saw a cool thing in a talk that worked. How do I do that? Mm-hmm. Instead of what do I know how to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so you kind of focus yep. on like, what's the most effective way to communicate it? And sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's hard, but that's my goal uh, as opposed to like, I don't know how to do that. So I guess I'm just going to paste in my image and the axes are too small and the colors are wrong, you know, yep. or whatever. Yeah. Um, the other advantage to uh, about this, uh, well, you can either make the whole graph or uh, pro tip, uh, if your graph is beautiful, but your axes are too small to read and you remember what Julia and I said, you can just make new axes in, in PowerPoint or Keynote or whatever, right? Just like hide the hide the printed axes, put some text in there, make it huge, and then everyone will know what your axes are. Mm-hmm. Here's a, a little hint about speaking rate. Um, so most, many people, many people will talk very quickly during a talk, especially when they're nervous. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yes, practicing is helpful. Uh, practicing in front of a group is helpful. Having your talk really memorized might seem helpful, but then sometimes you might even talk quicker because you know all the words you're going to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, f- I always find it very difficult to like slow my speaking rate in a sentence when I'm very nervous or whatever. Um, but one thing that's easier is to increase the pauses between sentences. Mm-hmm. So within a thought, you, you might just kind of ramble a little bit. 
but then you can sort of take just a, an extra beat. You don't want to do too much, but you can kind of pause between phrases and between sentences. And the result is your average speaking rate goes down. And there is actually research on this that with fast speech, putting in some pauses kind of helps the listeners catch up. So as opposed to, you know, measuring every word and trying to like talk to a metronome, just give your listeners a little chance to catch up and, and um, that can, you know, slow down your overall presentation rate. What do you recommend for people who get super, super nervous? Mm -hmm. Like I know that I know some people before talks and even like me early on, um, just that like, you know, upset stomach, shaky hands, Mm -hmm. throat tight, just gut wrenching nerves. I, well, I don't know. <laughs> I, I definitely have gotten less nervous over the years with practice. So on the one hand, that's not helpful in the moment, right? Like years from now, this may not be as bad, <laughs> right? Um, in the moment, I mean, I, uh, I, when I'm nervous and I have not been quite that nervous, but I try to um, either distract myself by talking to someone or like do some deep breathing exercises um, and kind of, you know, sit off in the front row. You you know, just kind of sitting there waiting to be introduced and just try to lower my heart rate. Uh, the other thing that I found for me, I'm typically nervous at the beginning of a talk. And once I get into it, I relax and kind of hit my groove. Yep. And, and what that means is I need to be extra. I need to do extra planning for the first, well, whatever, five minutes of the talk. Um, in terms of my transitions and not rushing, uh, maybe maybe putting in a little joke, um, mm-hmm. uh, just to try to relax myself as much as relax my audience. Um, and because the beginning is important because you're setting the tone for the whole thing. So if your tone is, it's too rushed, I'm going to just like tell you a lot of words that, that don't really hang together, mm-hmm. um, that doesn't set a great tone. So I, I would extra practice the introductions. Mm-hmm. Um, I've mentioned jokes a couple of times. Uh, do you, do you ever, and I, this is a personality thing, I guess too, but do you ever put in little jokes in your talks, Julia? Oh yeah. Yeah. What, I, do I you, do you feel, did, and, and then in presenter view, I write pause for laughter. <laughs> do you ever do that? And like, no one laughs. <laughs> you have to go through it. Uh, uh, I'm sure not. Yeah, your jokes I mean, are all no, funny. No, no, no. Yeah. Like sometimes jokes don't land. Usually yeah. then I make a joke about how the joke didn't land. Yes, exactly. That's a, this, that was great. Uh-huh. <laughs> the pro tip, right? Um, well, you know, uh, so no. here's a, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to say, uh, uh, judiciously used. I think, I think humor is a wonderful technique for engaging an audience. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, yeah. And, and people, and people are pretty, I mean, audiences are pretty forgiving with like nerdy academic humor too. Oh yeah. So like, you don't have to be a great comedian. It just sort of like lets people know that you're trying to be entertaining and you know, you, you you're thinking about them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, one change I've noticed, which is related to the jokes you'll see in a minute, uh, over the last, you know, 15 years or or 20 years, uh, wow, I'm old, uh, is that it used to be when I gave a talk, I would only give that talk one time. Like Mm. I'm giving my update on my dissertation research this semester and it, and I don't have to do it for another year. And next year is going to be, you know, there'll be some overlap, but it's a different talk. Um, now I'm more frequently end up giving talks that are very similar um, on similar topics that, you know, different conferences, um, two different conferences that don't seem to have a lot of overlap might say, Hey, can you talk about this same thing that you do? Uh, and so I, I reuse most of my slides and, um, which saves me some time, 
but it also gives me a chance to work on my delivery. And so I, I now have some talks or sections of talks I might have given five or 10 times, maybe more, but let's say five or 10 times. And so, you know, sometimes there's a joke I'll try on the first time that like no one laughed at. Well, I'll take it out. But then there are the ones that people laugh at on the second time. And I kind of like, I leave those in. So I feel bad for people who've seen my act uh, a few <laughs> times. Um, but at the same time, it's really interesting to see how like I get more comfortable delivering some of those, uh, you know, and sort of, I don't know, it feels, it feels like I'm actually able to improve the performance aspect of it. The same, in, yep. the same content, but I, I think I'm doing a better job delivering it, which is not yep. something I had, I had seen before. And then, and, and yes, I try out new material sometimes and see if it, see if people laugh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, going, going back to, uh, big nerves, um, you said like, you know, deep breathing exercises or like, you know, something kind of like help, help you calm down, um, just beforehand. Sometimes if I'm really nervous and I just know I have to kill like five minutes or something, um, this, this even like, this still happens to be like before the first day of class too. Where I'm just like, oh, it's like, you know, it's excited, but it's nervous. Um, I look at pictures of cute animals on my phone mm, uh-huh. and I swear it helps. Mm-hmm. This is not science. This is just me saying like what I feel stressed out. I look at that and I'm like, look at the little puppy's faces. Uh-huh. And it, that that's really useful for me. So that's good. Think, well, it's like distracting and positive. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I recommend, and this is if you are very nervous or, or not, just, this is, I just recommend this always. Um, is remember that the faces of the audience do not necessarily convey their true emotional states, mm, right? Mm-hmm. Like people sometimes look really bored during talks. And it's because I think that like we all forget that the presenter can see you just as well as you can see the presenter. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very easy to be like, they hate me because if they liked me, they would all be smiling broadly. Right. And um, and I think even for the best speakers, they're not all smiling broadly. Mm-hmm. But I recommend finding that one person who has an engaged resting face or nods, you know, those nodders in talks mm-hmm, are mm-hmm. like, there's a special place in heaven for them. Um, <laughs> and just, and talk to them. I mean, you know, talk to everybody, but focus your attention, focus your attention on them. Mm-hmm. Um, I have like made it a life's quest to be the smiling nodder, nodder in talks that like, I, I wish that I want to have, you know, I've like, mm-hmm. Like, here's my part in changing culture. I'm going to be an engaged audience member. Um, but yeah, those, I just, I'm so grateful to all of you out there who, who do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great idea. If, if, if in the unlikely event, you can't find a nodder, um, there's also the old sort of like, find a point that's kind of in your audience's room, but not any particular person. Mm-hmm. Like if they're stressing you out, right? Like find a pillar in the middle of the room. Uh, and just something else to, to focus on, because if you're not looking at your audience at all, um, that that's that's a real killer for engagement. So if you're just looking at your computer or your notes or the screen the entire time, people will notice that you're not making eye contact. Yep. Uh, on the other hand, uh, you don't need to, like, you know, lock eyes with everyone in the audience. So you just need to kind of give them a general gaze, um, you know, as much as you're comfortable. And that's where the nodders are super helpful. But but if you can't find a nodder, just like imagine a nodder. Imagine mm-hmm. Julia uh, up there in the back row, <laughs> nodding right and smiling at you. you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Then, then in terms of like the actual content that you're including, right. The, the content that, that, that you're, that you're delivering, 
um, I think it's very important to know your audience and and tailor the talk for them. So if, for instance, you are giving a talk that is, uh, you know, at a small liberal arts college, like the one that I work at, um, uh, the audience is likely to be faculty, but also undergrads. And so mm-hmm. the, the talk should be accessible to people who are smart and interested, but don't have a PhD in, in whatever you're talking about. Um, if the audience is, you know, if it's at a conference that's like more of a general science conference, people might be familiar with the basic idea, but not like the super specifics. If it's a very specific kind of conference, people will have more background knowledge. And so the talk that you write, even if you're talking about the same data, it's going to be, it should be a different talk in all of those contexts because you're kind of focused on different things and giving different amounts of background knowledge. So whenever I'm giving a talk somewhere, what I, I always ask like, about the room, like how big a room am I going to be in, you know, to know about these like mic issues, how big does the text have to be, that kind of stuff. Um, and also like, who's going to be there? You know, is this, is this for the undergrads? Is it for the faculty? You know, who, who am I talking to? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, um, and, and, and when in doubt, I assume less background than more because mm-hmm. people who know it, they might tune out for your background, but then they will get reengaged uh, and also people might think they know it, but you might have a different perspective. So it kind of gets everyone on the same, on the same page, even the experts. And you will, no matter what, you will have some non-experts in the room mm-hmm. and probably, I mean, and just assume every, every talk you give, there's someone who has no background. And so you need to at least give them enough to like jump in, even if, mm-hmm. even if they're not fully caught up. And even if people know it, I mean, I, I actually really like hearing how people introduce for a general audience mm-hmm. problem that I spend my life working on, right? Like mm-hmm. how people understand spoken language because they give different examples and they like yeah. frame it differently. And it's just yep. nice to be like, Oh, that mm-hmm. I, I might steal that. That's a clever way of doing it. Yeah. Well, and, and then, and then I think you also, um, well, anyway, you can kind of, it gives you a little bit of credibility, right? So people who know, then you explain it well, they're like, Oh yeah, you know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, and so I think it doesn't, it doesn't hurt. I, have you ever seen a talk, that they that was really like, you know, pitched too easy, like dumbed down too much. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I I think I I was I was I was gonna say no. I think I've seen like two, uh, compared to like hundreds that are pitched too high. So yes. the ratio yep. is very much on the most people really pitch it too high. I definitely yeah, certainly agree with that. Okay, but they exist, so don't don't go too crazy (laughs) but anyway probably that will not be statistically that will probably not be your your biggest challenge yeah um okay and then and then other stuff in content um it is also very common for people to start with some kind of like roadmap or overview of like today i'm gonna you know this like this is what the content of the talk will include um and sometimes that is done really beautifully and people will say the problem that we're dealing with is xyz i'm going to show you uh, I, I think the answer is this and here's why, you know, and like kind of give a, a broad, like conceptual overview. Um, sometimes people start by saying, uh, have a slide that says like overview, I'm going to start with an introduction, then I'm going to present some the methods, then I'm going to talk about the results, and then I will offer some conclusions and ideas for future directions. Um, and I would recommend doing away with that slide um, because that is in fact the recipe for like every academic talk ever. And it doesn't convey terribly much information, um, uh, mm-hmm. given given that that's like the norm. Right, right. 
Do you I on totally board with agree. that? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. No, I, 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 I'm, I'm on board with that. I, I think it can be really nice to like set it up conceptually. Like this is the big question that I'm going to tackle, you know, and, and like kind of do, do some, some foreshadowing in that way. Well, yeah. I mean, maybe if you're just going to use the same old outline that everyone uses, telling us about it is not that helpful. Yep. But if you're going to, if you're going to kind of structure it around something else, like here's a problem, I'm going to give you examples from um, behavior, brain imaging and computational modeling for it. And those right. are the three points. Maybe that's yep. more useful because it'll help people remember those three, you know, areas as opposed to like, yeah, stuff that they don't need your help remembering, like yep. a beginning, middle and end. Or, <laughs> right? or like, like saying, um, I'm going to start, you know, by the end of this talk, I hope to convince you that all of the different measures of listening effort in the literature are in fact not at all measuring the same thing and we don't know what we're measuring. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, spend the rest of the hour explaining, you know, giving evidence for, for why that point is true. Yep. Um, that can be really, that can be really effective too. Mm -hmm. um, if it is something like, uh, like you're describing a single study or a single experiment, um, I really like starting with like what the big question is. Like, why is this interesting? We were trying to understand why and then describe it in a in a big conceptual way that anyone could understand the problem, even if they're not familiar with the literature. Mm -hmm. You know, so rather than being like, there is discrepancy between what the trace model and the neighborhood activation model would predict about whatever, mm -hmm. you know, but instead be like, isn't it amazing that we can understand spoken language despite the fact that we know 60,000 words and, you know, and so like mm -hmm. uh, to, to, to really situate the problem in an accessible way very early on. Yeah, I like that. Yep. And also, I guess, related to that kind of structuring your talk around, um, you know, kind of hypotheses and the big picture questions, as opposed to structure, like the pillars should be your scientific questions that people are interested in. Your pillars should not be like, we ran X number of subjects and we use this task. Like you have to say that stuff, but, but that shouldn't be your kind of supporting structure. Which I, I guess it, it seems obvious, but it's actually, it can be hard to do, right? It's easy to get distracted by the details. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, I, um, I, I, the method section is my favorite section of the paper, right? Like I am, I am really interested in methods. And so one of the things that, that is tough about talks is that they, they just can't contain enough methodological detail to satisfy me. Mm -hmm. um, but that's just kind of the nature of the beast right? Like in a talk, it is very boring to hear about every single methodological detail, even though that stuff is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. I do like, um, especially for like behavioral psychology, I, I mean, for imaging too, um, uh, giving the participants uh, kind of a value added experience, sorry, given, giving your listeners a value added experience of what it's like to be a participant in the study, mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, in you can do things in talks that you can't do in papers, like actually play them the stimuli that the participants would hear or like show them a series of images that the participants would see. Mm -hmm. um, and that that is really nice for like getting a clear sense of what the experiment was like. Yep. Um, and so that's something where like you can actually get so much more from the talk than the paper. Yeah. So that's so audience participation of some sort is 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 a good. I don't want to say it's a trick. It's a, it's a good tool to use. Mm -hmm. Um, so I've had people raise their hands, you know, at, at the end of the sentence, raise your hand as quickly as you can. If, mm -hmm. if whatever, if, if, if a male performed the action, your right hand for a male and left hand for a female, just make everyone do it because 
uh, it gets their attention. I mean, it helps, it helps them. Yes, it helps them understand the task, but then, um, it gets their attention and there's sort of like a communal thing where you're having everyone respond. And then if you have any physical movement involved, um, maybe you can't always have them wave their arms around, but like, I think it literally wakes people up, right? Cause it kind of gets their, their blood flowing a little bit. Right. And so, uh, you know, early on it's fine. Wherever it fits in your narrative is good. But like, if you're giving like a 40 minute talk around minute 20 or 25, people are going to doze off. Uh, and so, you know, trying to put something interactive there, you know, a, a funny video, some audience interaction, a poll, I don't know, something, um, can be really useful. Like you don't want to, you don't want to force it if it really doesn't work, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Okay. So when, when you're getting to the end of your talk, um, I recommend having, uh, uh, having, taking, taking the time to do some kind of summary of what is the one idea they're going to walk away with. Right. So like in summary, what I have argued is that all these measures of listening effort are measuring different things and we don't know what to measure. Um, uh, you know, to like, there's the thing about how the composer is supposed to write, like the best song is supposed to happen right before intermission or right before the end of the musicals so that they like walk out whistling that tune. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of think about that with, um, with, with, with these talks too, is like give them some, some kind of clear summary um, so they can walk away whistling it. Um, I also recommend it is very common to have the last words of a talk be, are there any questions? Uh, it's great to ask her questions, but I think it's really nice to give the audience a signal that now you are done talking and you want them to clap for you because you want to just bathe in that glorious applause. Um, so I really recommend by ending with something like, thank you so much for your attention. Riotous applause. Mm-hmm. And then when the applause dies down, you say, are there any questions? Because um, that that's more of a like, conclusive way of ending and it also avoids that awkward people looking at each other being like wait are we supposed to clap or should we clap after the questions or Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i like that no because if you're an audience member you don't want to if you're sitting there wondering like what you should do right that's that's just a little bit awkward yep yeah turns out we had a lot to say about talks shockingly (laughs) we probably had more to say too didn't we Um, we keep going yeah 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 Um, we'll call it a day though Okay, so I guess summary is like practice a lot and, and 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 see what works and what doesn't work in talks that you see and help use that to guide you through the details. And it gets better the more you do it. Yes. Yep. Totally and agree. And with that, thank you for your attention. <laughs>